we asked them, how many of your community colleges assess digital literacy upon entrance? They said, less than 10%. At the end of our presentation, we asked it again, and we asked, how many of you think you should have a digital literacy assessment for in incoming students? And it was nearly 100%. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. This episode of In the Know is about how to best reach Generation C students. David Connor and I talk with Ted Tedman and Casey Wilhelm, professors at North Idaho College. We discuss how Gen Z students learn, considerations for teaching Gen Z students, what trustees need to keep in mind, and more. This is part two of a two-part episode. We're picking back up with discussion of Generation Z students and their use of technology, specifically smartphones. And you mentioned you're a Gen X, uh, you know, but how much do you use your phone relative to a millennial or a Gen Z? My guess is that you're on the very high side of mobile device use for your generation, which might tend to cause maybe behavioral changes. Mm -hmm. Simon Sinek did a fun TED, uh, TED talk about that. Is it the first item you touch in the morning? Is it the last item you touch at night? Who is in control of your life? I'm not saying this to you personally, just but it does apply. To <laughs> <laughs> it truly, uh, yes, and so, and that's why I brought it up because I think that uh, this is a really important conversation for any anybody in any form who's teaching anybody or even interacting with anyone these days. And um, yes, I mean, I, generationally, age-wise, I fall outside of that demographic. But what you just described. Um, yes, first thing in the morning, I look at my phone. As I go to bed, I put my phone down and then I get in bed. Or I get in bed and then I put my phone down. But the point is that I think a lot of people who are not millennial and Generation Z also ha who have come to use this technology have come to... The way I regard it for myself is an addiction. Unlike any I've ever had before, I have difficulty putting my phone down. And, and if I choose not to hold it, it appears in my hands again within minutes, um, and so so that's all. That's all I'm suggesting is that this is important as well because it's not only future students that that people should be thinking about. I think it's current students, probably of all ages, probably to greater or lesser degrees, um, based on generational divides. But it it just seems like a very prevalent thing. Well, I think you raise a good point. I mean, if you look at how prevalent we're seeing with digital devices and how it is becoming more and more integrated in our lives, our approach is then maybe we need to better design materials to those devices to because now you can get them on the device that they're used to using, that they're comfortable with. You're not creating this disengagement or there's divide by saying, well, you've got to go and use a book. Now use your phone, use your tablet, you know, use whatever you're comfortable with. But now that you're you're creating more of a connection to that, and that's we've been big advocates of needing to create better resources um, and learning opportunities that are crafted to mobile devices, specifically smartphones, um, scaling down you know, content so that a student can actually have an optimal experience on a phone, because that's where they live now. And I know we we oftentimes have discussions and even arguments sometimes with colleagues about well we need to not do that. We need to force them away from that because that's creating the problem and we're just giving in to the problem. And our belief is no, we're, what choice do we have? You know, as educators, we can have that attitude and say, you know, you're gonna use what you're gonna use and we're gonna tell you what to do, but that's not gonna be successful. And so to us, it's really looking and kind of embracing it rather than, than push it away. And uh, it probably leads to a different discussion, but that's one reason why we believe that an adaptive learning solution where 
Uh, it's mobile-based where the information is chunked in the way that they're used to ass assimilating information anyway in short bursts. And heavy use of imagery is key to reaching today's students. That's, that's going to be a, a big way to change that mindset. If we can get instructors, if we can teach instructors how to teach, I think we've that's half the battle right there. Have you noticed any changes in your assessment of students as a result of these new uh, methods of teaching? One way that we've found much more success, particularly with millennials and Gen Zs, let me focus on millennials for a sec. Millennials like to be in control, or at least to think they are in control. If you have a millennial in the workplace, more than anything else, they want you to listen to them. So if you're worried about how to reach this employee or student, all you have to do is close your mouth and let them talk. Often that's all they want. They'll want a higher salary. They'll say they want a higher salary. They'll say they want better working hours. What they really want is just to tell you that they want that. I think it's, it's super interesting uh, that Ted brings up that point because I also teach with the Emerging Leaders Program with the SBA, Small Business Administration. And these businesses come in and one of the biggest challenges they have is actually dealing with millennials in the workplace. Uh, they don't understand, and most of these business owners are usually mid-50s to mid-60s, and they don't understand the, this kind of differences between these generations. And exactly what Ted just said about listening and just letting them kind of say and, and kind of craft what they want to do. Uh, worked with a business owner in southern Idaho. She owned a helicopter company, had a, just an outstanding pilot, but the pilot wasn't doing well all of a sudden, was just upset and she didn't know how to handle it. Well, all she had to do, we kind of talked about how these millennials and Gen Zs learn a little bit differently, some tools and tactics of how to, how to reach them better. And basically it was just that, just listen. I said, I know it's going to be difficult for you, but just let the pilot vent. You want to, you want to keep them, uh, let them talk. And she's like, it was very difficult. Came back the next session and said, I did exactly what you said. And his performance has been better now. He's happier. He said, it, it, all he, he's like, I just wanted to be heard. And she goes, it was very difficult for me. And I think that's difficult for a lot of instructors too. To just sometimes you want to listen, and it can be ridiculous, but you know, understanding that can be very important. Yeah, that's a challenge. Gen X and Boomers want to solve a problem. Millennials don't want you to solve the problem. They just want you to listen to them. That's, that's a challenge for many uh, of older generations. But if that's another thing we can teach, then I think we're doing a good job. So I'm, I'm going to interject really quickly here. This is a, a very useful lesson in case listeners, um, a light bulb just went off for me. So hopefully it did for you as well. We are now in a period in which millennials are starting to join college boards. And this, this is something that I think is unexpected in this conversation, but potentially very useful. Um, a lot of boards are action-oriented and may misinterpret some people who have been acculturated to need to be heard as bringing forth a point potentially that might be something that, that uh, others may interpret as, well, what problem are you trying to solve? So this is a point at which people should be listening to one another and patient with one another and understand that people have different perspectives. In addition to learning differently, they may just communicate differently. So I just wanted to throw that out for people to register and take in. If you've got younger 
people coming into your board consider that. Maybe they just have to say something to be heard because it's a, it's a, you know, a different worldview. Um, I'm looking at Jacob right now, who is at this point our token millennial. So, what do you think of, <laughs> what do you think about these points? Do they sound right to you? Well, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting hearing you both talk about uh, your understanding of millennials and me thinking, oh wait, <laughs> that that is how uh, my friends and I behave you know a lot of us do just want to be heard or have you know uh or ha have experiences like that and you know i i remember when i was younger um my dad is a he's a journalist he's you know he in college he was typing his papers on a typewriter and he always uh tried to instill the importance of reading physical books to me um, whereas my mom was more tech savvy and more interested in that. So I kind of had both of those uh, worlds colliding and you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure which is better, which is why I think it's interesting for me to hear how you're gearing your teaching towards people who spend more time on their phones because as long as they are learning, you know, it's hard to say it's bad that they're just because they're doing it on the phone. You, it, it, that's such a great point, and, and oftentimes we get into kind of a dialogue about that. And our whole perspective is if they're actively doing something and learning, does it matter how they're doing it? And that's exactly what you just said. And, and oftentimes we hear, well, if they're not reading it or if they're not doing that, then they can't be learning. Um, and our belief of learning is you can learn by answering questions, you can learn by watching a video, you can learn by engaging with you know, click-throughs and different activities. Um, the end game is knowledge. And if we can hit multiple touch points on that by having them engage with different things, then, then it's a win in our opinion. Um, and so I, I think that's a, a great point of, you, you don't just have to read something to learn it. You know, there's a lot of other ways we can move up you know, Bloom's taxonomy up to you know, really having this application and being able to understand it um, in a lot of different ways. I guess the conclusion of the story for me is that I, I enjoy learning both ways for different things. Like for some, sometimes it's easier for me to have, you know, a paper in front of me to read. Other times, you know, it's easier for me to just pull out my phone and uh, get information that way. A podcast, maybe? Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and that, that's, that's what we feel, is that we should have multiple ways for students or anyone to, to get information. Mm -hmm. um, it shouldn't just be this one-size-fits-all, so that, yeah, you can kind of switch back and forth between different types of, of ways to learn. Um, and kind of let the student kind of craft their own path. Yeah, all learning is important. Absolutely. We had a conversation um, prior, prior to this conversation, and you showed me something that I thought was really interesting. Um, our member communications committee, which is made up of trustees who are generally on the older side, um, have asked us to distill everything possible into a few bullet points that they can easily digest. And you showed this to me, but also explained, um, now that we're, we're in a more globally connected world, you also explained something about some exchange students and how this mode of presentation of information may be more useful to them. So could you talk to people without, you know, we won't have the benefit of a visual for this podcast, but... Yeah, absolutely. Essentially what we do is we use an instructional strategy called chunking. Um, so we can take longer forms of narrative text and condense that down to critical elements of what we think should be taught. Uh, and so really we're once again just taking long form narrative and we, we have both forms. So we, a student can see both a long form narrative of it or have the, the chunked or reduced formed of it. 
um, basically what we did was I, we had some students actually that were using this method and they came to me and said how much they really enjoyed this adaptive learning and that. And I said, oh, that, you know, it was fascinating. And I said, do you like the technology? And they said, yeah, we, we do. But what we really like is that you took the, the long form narrative and, and condensed it down into a more digestible form for us. Uh, when we're translating over between Chinese and English, it was much more efficient for us to actually get the information. We feel like we're learning better. Uh, we're really enjoying this much more. Uh, and we thought that's fascinating. We never even thought of that. It was kind of an unintended consequence of what we did. We then went and talked with our disability support office and kind of brought up some of the, these interesting points that were made uh, to our attention. And then they talked with us a little bit about how this might be beneficial for those with any cognitive disabilities. Uh, so ADHD, ADD, um, it really looking at being able to give them information in that way too that could be beneficial as well. So I think for everybody's busy you know everybody is is trying to get as much information as they can in the quickest way possible and i think by utilizing a strategy where you have both methods you you have, want the longer form narrative you have that that provides more examples and a little more guidance you have it or you have this other way of learning which is more condensed a little bit quicker you kind of choose which way is going to work best for you so maybe if there's something that's really engaging you want to dig a little more into you can then go to that longer form narrative but if you just want kind of that quick bullet points as you mentioned that's there as well the idea of accessibility and equity are focused on this issue as well not only is it for those that maybe have attention issues find it easier to read short short text rather than long narrative also those think about those who have vision impairment issues uh, we use uh, Dragon's Ear, Read Write Gold uh, reading software. But for if you're a visual capable student, if you're able to see, say, an executive summary that just shows the bullets, it's a much faster way to assimilate the information. Isn't it only fair that that be presented to someone who is visually impaired so that they can use their software, just highlight those bullets, and if they can get the information, see through it quickly, yes, I have all that information, I don't have to listen to all that, much more efficient use of their time, and I think it's a fairer way to teach. When I think also, too, when you look at incoming community college students and overall reading levels of students coming in, um, a lot of students come in that are a little below standard. And so being able to, especially with early classes, being able to get them comfortable and maybe strengthen those skills without having to be intimidated by a full long form narrative is beneficial as well. It really gets those students who maybe are a little bit more challenged with reading um, to be able to get them and engage with them as well. One final point, I want to touch on something Jacob mentioned, and that is that he was blessed to be born in a household that had a typewriter actually use that I think too many professors, too many community college administrators uh, make the mistake of thinking that millennials and Gen Z's in particular are digitally literate in a way that students were before the advent of the smartphone. Many of these incoming students, particularly community college students, haven't grown up with a laptop so they don't know skills like file management that well and if you say if this student signs up for an online course and they're not succeeding, it may be because they're not able to navigate Canvas, Blackboard, whatever learning management system they're using, or not able to download or upload as quickly as their peers, not able to type as quickly as their peers. It might be a digital issue, a digital literacy issue, not a cognitive issue. And just one final point as well, just kind of thinking about the the topic of equity as well. You know, by creating 
learning opportunities that are maybe in more of this condensed way, it really truly does scale more toward a mobile type platform or delivery. And when we look at equity overall, you know, 95% of people in the United States have a, a smartphone, um, much more readily available than it would be on a laptop. And so when we look at that, we think of, okay, well, can we reach more of an audience and create more equity by having things that are more scaled to a device like that? I mean, really, to put a long-form narrative on a smartphone, it, it isn't optimal versus having more of this bulleted kind of condensed format, which then we can scale to a mobile platform, which then creates, in our opinion, much more equity. So um, to, to summarize, a lot of this conversation has really been about teaching and learning in the classroom or outside of the classroom if it's homework. Uh, for, for in the interest of community college trustees, people governing the colleges, what would you say are the types of questions that they should be asking um, to, to find out whether their college is addressing these concerns? Because they're not generally in the classrooms um, and they're not administering. So, but they should be asking questions to make sure that, that colleges are addressing the needs of as many students as possible to, you know, to fill our uh, open access missions. It's kind of telling. In San Francisco, when we asked, in the trustees had the clickers, we asked them, how many of your community colleges assess digital literacy upon entrance? And they said, I think the number was, well, I can look it up, but maybe 8% less than 10% of the community college trustees there said there was some sort of a digital literacy assessment for incoming students. At the end of our presentation, we asked it again, and we asked, how many of you think you should have a digital literacy assessment for in incoming students? And it was nearly 100%. That just to verify, what is the baseline of knowledge? Are these students, do they have the digital literacy? We test their English, we test their math, we should be testing their ability to use a computer as well. I think another important question is just to gain a better understanding about the student population that's there. I mean, usually the hard you know, demographic kind of data exists, but really understanding from a perspective of you know, what is the student makeup, uh, what kind of demands are maybe there from the students of what we have, and then also you know, what's faculty's knowledge and understanding about some of these topics about Gen Z and millennial learners. I know at, at North Idaho College, uh, our president, McClinic, has been very out, outstanding with really supporting us and trying to get a better understanding and then reaching out to faculty to have these discussions. And so far there's been a, a pretty high level of interest to get some of this information out about you know, how are these learners and why is it important to us and what can we do to better engage students as a result of this knowledge. So I think really trying to find out who the students are and then what's faculty's knowledge and understanding about it because oftentimes faculty lack this information because they're great practitioners at whatever they're teaching but having this understanding about adult learning in that is often lacking. And trustees can facilitate this kind of learning in the college by asking the administration hey what are you doing to educate the educators? Do they know how to reach their students as well as they can? Our trustees have been doing a great job on that in fact we now have luncheons where it's uh, very casual, people come in and it's just an opportunity to learn different methodologies and that's how we become better teachers. You don't want one of those teachers that have been doing the same thing. We have, we had one professor at a community college we spoke at, they were still using overheads. Uh, really you're going to disengage your students with that, you're not going to reach them. 
<laughs> yeah, and we, we've had discussions with other, other instructors at community colleges where they've started kind of programs of teaching the teachers, if you will. So kind of a one, once every month or two um, opportunity to engage with faculty to just have discussions like this about, you know, what, what's OER, what does that mean, or what's adaptive learning and how can we utilize that at the institution. I think really fostering that, that kind of community um, about these topics is really important from the trustee level and getting faculty to really understand that there's support um, coming from the trustees and from you know, upper administration to really get involved in these kinds of concerns. This has been part two of a two-part episode. If you missed part one, we posted it last week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. <laughs>